Hello, Geek Timers. This is Damian Harmony, one half of the dynamic duo that makes up a geek history of time. We have some sad news as uh, earlier this week, um, in the late part of October, uh, Dr. Rex Stem lost, lost his battle with cancer. He had been a two-time guest on our show, uh, but more importantly, Rex was my friend. Uh, he and I enjoyed quite a bit about Latin together and uh, cooking up stories about Caesar and sitting around and talking about the fun things about teaching Latin. The world is a little dimmer without him, uh, and uh, as you can imagine, there are plenty of people who are remembering him right now, and I'm hoping that uh, re-releasing this show will be of some source of comfort, as I know it will be to me. So this week we're releasing, uh, re-releasing both episodes of the uh, Secret Gallic Wars uh, that so prominently featured Rex and his unique sense of humor and his brilliance. Rex was a wonderful man and I was glad to share the world with him. He will be missed. And so, sit back and enjoy, or do your chores as you see fit, uh, a couple hours with myself and Ed Blaylock and Dr. Rex Stem, uh, as we recount the story of why Caesar was really in Gaul. This is a Geek History of Time. Where we connect nerdery to the real world. I'm Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history teacher, a new father of a just over one-year-old son. And uh, I have been a nerd as long as I can remember. I was exposed to Tolkien at far too young an age, and it warped me forever. <laughs> Damien, how about you? Uh, I'm Damien Harmony. I'm a Latin teacher, formerly a social science teacher at a local high school here in Sacramento. Uh, I have two children, my daughter who has taught herself draconic alphabet, uh, recently for an, uh, an adventure that we had. Raising them right. Yes. A son who's super into trains. Uh, and I've been a geek for quite some time. I remember my dad showing me, uh, paintings of Conan the Barbarian from the original book series. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, it coincided with a day that I was really, really sick. So he thought he made me throw up with how scary the ape beast was. <laughs> it wasn't. Uh, so it's been a while. It's it was been just influenza. Yeah. <laughs> Highly go. influenza of my youth. Yes. I, oh, God damn it. <laughs> so, uh, Ed, we have a guest here today with yes, us. Yes, we do, sir. Um, it's a pleasure to meet you. For our audience at home, can you let them know who you are? I will do that. My name is Rex Stem. I am a Latin professor, which is how I came to know Damien Harmony. And I do not have the sort of nerd credentials that you two have, but I will try to help with the, the Roman history and the, the Latin background. Okay. Excellent. Uh, now, you, you two have, have a lot of notes in front of you here. Yeah. And you have what, what looks like some kind, of a, some kind of a dissertation here. I see something about <laughs> uh, Caesar's achievement in the Gallic War. So let's, I'm, I'm fascinated. I want to I know what you've got to say about this. Let's, let's jump right in. Yeah, well, uh, I realize that in a lot of our episodes, it's a lot of modern history. Uh, yes. it's, it's, you know, the Damien thinks 9-11 ruined everything channel as well. Well, it kind of did. Yeah, as and, well as the and, you know, Ed thinks that British parliamentary history is the most important thing channel and also giant it? robots. So I figured let's go back a little bit further and oh, see if we can... You know, I mean, you're leaving Hiroshima out entirely, you know, especially when you talk about the giant robots. But yes, going a little farther back in history is probably yeah, called for. Get into some classics. Yeah. So yeah, I, I realized I was not necessarily equal to the task unless I brought in a, uh, a bona fide expert. Okay, Get a Robo, so. by the way, is a classic. I just want to make sure everybody understands that. <laughs> So we can refer to the Greco-Roman classics. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, So we can okay, distinguish okay. our C. classics from <laughs> capital your C. classics. Capital yes. C classics. Yes. Understood. Sorry, sorry. Not to be confused with Vlasics, which is pickle talk. Pick is very different. Really, very bitter. Yeah, it's my bread and butter, but yeah, really. Nice. Thank nice, you. Nice. So. You dilly. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to let that go. Well, I may, son, because it's a little jarring. Oh. So. Rex, save us from me. Okay, so um, we're going to talk about Julius Caesar because it's the Ides of March. And so 
but that's jumping ahead because we all know the Ides of March because he gets killed on the Ides of March. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk about how Spoiler Caesar alert. <laughs> how Caesar came to be Caesar. And that is that when when he was consul, chief uh, magistrate in the Roman Republic, um, he got himself assigned uh, to govern the provinces of what the Romans would call Cisalpine Gaul and Transalpine Gaul, which we would call Northern Italy and France. Yeah. And at that point, Northern Italy is effectively conquered by the Romans, but mm-hmm. they're not yet sort of fully incorporated into Italy. They, they hadn't, at that point, uh, integrated really into Roman society. Yeah, well, they, they probably had okay. in terms of their culture. But okay. Politically, right. they politically, they were not they were allowed still to. Back. Well, okay. Though Caesar will, will make them full citizens before mm-hmm. he meets okay. the Ides of March. Okay. Um, to the point where there is graffiti in Rome saying a good idea would be to not show a new senator where the curia is because they didn't want Gallic senators coming in to the curia. Wow. Yeah. And they okay. even they even said uh, Caesar uh, conquered these these Nancy boys who wear these girlish pants and they put down they pulled down their pants and put on the togas. So there's all kinds of really wow. fun. Yeah. And this is Milan so, we're talking about. Yeah. I mean these are fully Italian places now. So yeah. The yeah. idea that there could be that much discrepancy. Wow. Yeah. Right. So, so I'm curious, mm-hmm. just just to now ask, when we're talking about Transalpine Gaul in this period, um, how much when by the time Caesar gets up there, um, I mean I know about Vercingetorix, and I know those stories. That's all at the end. Yeah, that's, that's okay, seven right. years later yeah. from what okay, we're talking right. about. Well, okay, but but yeah. at, at the beginning of his time, mm-hmm. based on what I know comes later, I'm I'm gonna guess. That the Gallic tribes there were still culturally and presumably linguistically entirely still Celtic? Entirely. Okay. Yes. All right. And the Roman presence is really only the French Riviera, what we would call the Riviera. Okay. Just uh, along the coast in order to go to Spain because Rome had already taken Spain from Carthage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they wanted to connect their empire. Okay. So there's a sliver of land on the coast, and there's all that France up there that Plus is Britain. just sort of unknown. And Britain. Yeah. Yes, yes. But for some reason, the Rhine River had already been decided as the border between mm-hmm. Gaul and Germany. Yeah. Okay. And Caesar's only interested in everything from the Rhine River to the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. Only. Yeah. Only that. Only. Much. But yeah, well, yeah. that's all. He you did, know, the, he the did recognize that yeah. there was yeah. Yeah. a. Yeah, the, the, largest, limit. the largest plane and. You know, continental Europe. Yeah, yes. and he'd, he he'd cross it sometimes to bop them on the nose and mm-hmm. keep them back. Oh yeah, okay. but that was or or to chase someone down. Yeah, yeah. that was about okay. it. Oh yeah, we we have a, we think a richer understanding yeah. of of the German threat than really Caesar lets on. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, all right. So I'll, okay, I'll but, stop interrupting. You but guys. we have to get him to Germany. Yeah. So when Caesar starts out, so he he when he's consul, he gets himself a command that's five years long. Okay. And if you're a Roman and you know you have five years, then you can go pick a huge fight. Oh, because yeah. you're going to have all this time to go and deal with it. So it looks like Caesar is sort of eager to find somebody to go and mess with. And Caesar hears that the Swiss, the Helvetians, or the Helvetii, mm-hmm. have decided to migrate en masse, all of them, he later says there were 368,000 of them that decided to leave what we would call Switzerland mm-hmm. and migrate down to the Roman part mm-hmm. of Gaul and then back up towards the coast to some nice farmland where they could okay. be more expansive. And to do that, they're going to have to cross Roman territories. And Caesar says, they, they no, had, you can't do that. They had two possible routes. One was through a mountain pass. I mean, it's Switzerland. Yeah, the reason they never got invaded by the Nazis. Yeah. Um, well, one of the reasons. Um, yeah. But they had to ma- pass through a mountain pass that was so small that only a ox and a cart could get through, mm-hmm. and then some people on the overhanging cliff with good arrows could stall everything. Because yeah. not only do you kill that thing, it doesn't disappear like in video games. It's no. blocked everything. Yeah. And so you just keep raining well, down that's, arrows. That's part of the reason. That's part of the reason the, the Battle of the Hot Gates was what it was. Exactly. You know. So and 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 Caesar uh, talks about that. He says yeah. so they had that, or they could go through our territory, which is a much wider place to ford. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can just kind of guess what a a population who, by the way, is leaving an area that's 
I, I want to say 240 by 180 miles. I believe that's exactly right. Yep. Uh, that small an area, uh, and they're all leaving, like he said. So, okay, you say he, he had this figure of 368,000 yeah. people, so he claims. Okay, now, do we have any kind of archaeological evidence, any kind of, any kind of other corroborating evidence of whether his numbers are inflated? Do we know anything about where he's getting these figures? Is well, this oh, no, like, he's, you know, Rush Limbaugh just pulling a number out of his he butt? He says I mean, that when he defeats these people, mm-hmm. uh, he finds in their luggage, effectively, a okay. census of everyone who had left on the expedition. Mm-hmm. And then he offers some of those numbers, and they total up to 368,000. So we have to... He's the only source. Okay, we got it. Yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, and we have to allow for that because I, I find that interesting because they're they're the Helvetii were were a Celto Celtic tribe, yes. and I know mm-hmm. that outside of you know some of the uh, Celtic tribes developing an Ogham system, they didn't actually have a real system of writing. As far as oh, I know, this was in Greek characters. Oh, okay, all right. Okay. He says, all right, okay, all right, yes. All right. So they were using yes. Greek to write. So, yeah, okay, all right. Because, well, okay, because actually, uh, the city of Marseille mm-hmm. uh, had long been a Greek colony well before the Romans ever got there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's some saturation of Greek culture and oh, okay. all that the yeah. Romans then piggyback to, to the point where they have of. kind of reimagined Greek gods. Um, and they worship them in a slightly different way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, which will come into play a little bit later, okay. honestly. But uh, but they they fully have adopted some trappings of like uh, Greek cosmology. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then we have to get into the interesting part. So there's some. On the one hand, this is a very easy account to understand. You have this this whole people that wants to migrate through Roman territory, and Caesar just assumes. You're gonna come and you're gonna you're gonna take stuff and you're gonna kill people and you're gonna pillage and I'm not gonna let you do that. Yeah. Uh, and they initially resist and then they make a deal uh, with the neighboring tribe and they're gonna go a different way, but they they disobey what Caesar wants them to do. And okay. so he rushes back to Italy and recruits two, three more legions. Mm-hmm. I think at least two. He levies one in the area and he, he's coming up with another. Uh, and then he marches back and chases them down, and mm-hmm. um, there's some there's some chasing, and mm. then eventually they end up fighting, and it's a decisive victory for him. Okay. So that's the sort of easy way to understand mm-hmm. this story. Okay. But there are some details in this story which which he he acknowledges, but he doesn't actually really explain, and those are the things that sort of caught the eye of Damien and me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, for example, when he sets up the reason that they're going to migrate, he says that there was a chieftain named Orgeterix, and he had this ambition that the Helvetian people should be the number one people of Gaul. And so okay. he uh, convinces everybody to migrate. They say, we're going to spend two years getting ready, and then we're going to go. Um, and Orgeterix goes and makes alliances with the neighboring peoples. Um, but Forms his own triumvirate. He really does. Yeah, he okay. does. Yeah, he Complete does. with marrying a, his daughter to someone else. Really? Yeah. And Caesar kind of... Like the parallel is that... Yeah. He, he, he confesses by accusation there. Oh, yeah. huh. <laughs> All right. Yeah. 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 Divikiakis and uh, Catamontolidus, I think, specifically. Wow. Yeah. All the names. Yep. Nice. Uh, okay. But the yeah. point I'm trying to get to is then it's, it's realized, though, that Orgeterix is making this triumvirate without uh-huh. telling the people what's going on. Mm-hmm. So oh, okay. his own uh, magistrates rise up against him. He is put on trial. He escapes, but is found dead. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, suicide is suspected, mm-hmm. says Caesar. Um, and then you'd think... If, fell on his own sword six if, times. <laughs> Backwards. Backwards, oddly, oddly enough. enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but you'd think if, if this uh, conspiratorial leader had a plan to get everybody to migrate, uh, then once you realize that the leader is conspiratorial and is a fraud, then surely you're going to abandon the plan to migrate. That would be the reasonable thing to do. You'd and, think. And yet, Caesar says, even though he was dead, the Helvetians decided to carry through with their plan anyway. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Recruiting other tribes, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So then you begin to realize, well, maybe there's some other motivation here that the Helvetians need to leave this territory, and it isn't the kind of bellicose ambition that Caesar is attributing to them. Moreover, Caesar says that when they leave, they burn all of their towns and villages and all of their freestanding buildings. Yeah. 
Hmm. Now, he says they do that so that they don't have a temptation to give up on the whole expedition and go back home. Right. And the only sure way to convince them that they have to go through with what they say is to burn everything so that there's nothing to go home to. But again, to, to Damien and I, this, this seems like the sort of clue that there might be some other reason why they need to leave and they need to leave in this sort of on mass, it almost it, it feels like more than just a migration. Yeah. Now, I, I I also want to point out that Caesar is writing these dispatches back to the Senate, partly as a here's why I'm here and why you need me here, mm-hmm. but he also knows that they're being read in the forum, and and so he's writing it. I call it kind of the prism effect. He's writing it for one audience, knowing another audience will hear it. Okay. And so everything he writes has to be in terms that the people will love him for and that the senate will realize his necessity for that's okay. happening okay and i'm hoping i'm not stepping on any no of thunder no right not yeah. at all no because that that explains sort of the audience that he's trying to reach but mm-hmm. also it limits him mm-hmm. um, because he doesn't necessarily want to make everything known to everybody right okay to go back to the number of 368,000 that he yeah. says uh, left on this expedition. At the end of the expedition, when he finds these things, and then he does his own census, and he finds there's only 110,000 left. So that means 258,000 people have disappeared. And that's hard to... I mean, some people who think the worst of Caesar say this is a genocidal maniac who just killed 250,000 people and doesn't even sweat over that. But Caesar only describes one battle with the Helvetians, right. and that battle has a fairly limited form, and it's not the sort of thing where you'd expect two hundred fifty thousand people. To well, be. any kind of battle in a classical period, you're not. I mean, with with a couple of notable, massive, you know, a couple of battles that are notable for being as massive as they were, and were commented on at the time as being these huge apocalyptic things. That is a casualty figure that beggars the imagination. Well, and even the massive ones are fifty thousand. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Battle so, of Cannae. So, so, yeah, you know, so so this, you okay? So there's a times there's a five. Scalar, yeah, Cannae, <laughs> Cannae, yeah. yeah. quintupled. Yeah. So yeah. so there there is there's a, a huge scalar issue here. Yes. Okay, I can see that. Or something is causing the Helvetians to die. Yeah. That is in addition to whatever Caesar is doing. And okay. perhaps this is related to the fact that they had to burn all their possessions before they left. Okay. These are the sorts of clues that, that if you look for them, mm-hmm. start to form a pattern, we think. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then after this expedition... Um, a pattern that the Senate would see, by the way. They would absolutely catch. But the common folk... Would be like, hey, go slaughter them. That's great. Better okay. over there than over here. Well, yeah. yeah. Make Rome great again. Yes. Yeah. Build the wall. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Build two walls. Build multiple walls. <laughs> You're getting ahead. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yes. Seven years later. Back to Versed Getter again. All right. <laughs> okay. So yes. after the Helvetian campaign, yeah. Um, all the Gallic states from nearby come to congratulate Caesar on his victory and mm-hmm. sort of try to figure out what's going to happen next for them in Gaul. And they ask for a private meeting with Caesar that uh, isn't going to be a regular Gallic Congress. And they swear oaths that they can't tell anybody about what happens at this meeting unless they've been officially chosen by their people to come and represent their people at this mm-hmm. meeting. Um, and then we learn, and so... As Caesar tells it, this is when Caesar learns that there is this other threat in Gaul. And that comes from the Germans, who are led by a king named Ariovistus. And Ariovistus has come across the Rhine initially because he was invited, or that's Mm -hmm. what he's going to say later, um, and is now so encroaching upon... Well, he starts in the lands of the Sequani, who are next to the lands Helvetii. of the Helvetii. Yeah. And okay. then next to that are the Aedui, who are the yeah. chief allies of Caesar and Gaul. Okay. And so these three peoples are all getting pressed by the presence of Ariovistus the German. Okay. And Just everyone... For reference, this is like northern Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. Austria, okay. that area. Yeah. Okay. When we say the German, what was where are we talking? Uh, the ancestor of Ostrogoth, Visigoth... 
gothic? Are we talking gothic? Uh, are we I talking? Don't know. No they were migratory as heck by this point. Uh, yeah, so well, they hadn't settled. Okay. Germanos. Yeah. yeah okay. Is, yeah, is the Latin? Just, um, yeah, okay. There's there. What that yeah. means? Those is that those time. guys up across in, the river. Yeah. Those yeah. those guys up in the woods. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. The hill people. Yeah. Yeah. The woods yeah. people. Yeah. yeah okay. Woods. I'm sorry. Yeah. The hill people. The hill people are people are my people. <laughs> <laughs> Build a wall. I'll, I'll die. Yeah, I, well, I had to, didn't I? Uh, okay, so so everyone is terrified of this Ariovistus. Just mm-hmm. terrified. And they talk about how um, anybody who crosses him is tortured. Mm-hmm. And that oh, he wow. is a barbaric. And that he is a hothead. And that he is extreme. Um, and they have given hostages to him because that was required. Uh, because he has defeated them in battle once. And they fear for the lives of their hostages. Mm-hmm. And and they, they're trying to get Caesar to intervene to get them back. Okay. But if Ariovistus hears of this, they're afraid he's going to kill all the hostages. They say he's going to put them to the greatest tortures. Mm-hmm. Wow. This so, is their language. Okay, this, this guy sounds kind of like the earlier coming of Attila the Hun. Yeah. Oh, it's it's actually more serious than that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, the the climax of this scene is when there's one group uh, at this conference of Gauls, and they oh, don't even right. say anything. They just look down. And they're absolutely mute. And Caesar goes over to them and he says, "You know, why are you not speaking? Mm-hmm. Why you're not involved in this?" And they just refuse to talk to him. And then the other uh, delegates explain that this was the group that initially had Ariovistus come to them and they are so terrified of him that they won't even complain because they feel that he is present even when he's not there. Mm -hmm. And so somehow he's going to hear what they have to say and they refuse to even acknowledge that this is being talked about. Wow. Yeah. So you can see that there's there's something really unsettling going on here. Okay. And and the, the people closest to it are the most afraid of it. And, mm-hmm. then, and then as you move out from that center, uh, it's a little less frightening, but it's pretty frightening. It's a radiation okay. of fear. Okay. Yeah. All right. And Caesar has sort of only realized that the enemy in Gaul that he's really got to deal with was not the Helvetians. Uh, and that there's this other figure that now has to become the center of his attention. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so his first year in Gaul, you have the sudden pivot from the Helvetians, which was mm-hmm. a nice campaign that ended, to the real threat, which turns out to be Ariovistus, the German. Uh, the next interesting part is when the Romans... So he then marches toward Ariovistus, and the men begin to get news, word, of what the Germans are like. And they are told that the Gauls who tried to fight the Germans were just terrified. They couldn't handle the... The look in their eyes. Yeah. The, the acies oculorum, <laughs> uh, which is this fantastic phrase in Latin. Yeah. It means literally the battle line of the eyes. Uh, oh, I love that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's like, wow. Cultivate that look. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. power. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. is. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and that's, so that's Bradbury kind of language. Yeah, it really is. Amazing. It's All fantastic. Right. It's fantastic. Yeah. And this is how you know that this is not just a normal enemy, mm-hmm. right? There is something that animates these people that that terrifies those who see them. And so the the army effectively mutinies and says, we're, we, "This sounds horrible. We cannot go fight these people, and we're going to stop right here." And it's especially the centurions, right? It's yeah. They're sticking up for their men, saying, well, "No more." No, we're stopping, boss. No mas. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're okay. done. Right. Yeah. And then Caesar has to come out and give a big speech and try to save the day. And, and he does eventually persuade them, mm-hmm. favors the 10th Legion, sort of uses the 10th Legion's loyalty against the rest and convinces them to keep marching. Yes. Okay. Um, but it's one of the few times in the whole narrative of Caesar's campaigns that his troops mm-hmm. say no to him. And okay. he has to persuade them to go forward. Yeah. So again, these are the accumulating clues that, that this enemy is something that you would not expect Caesar to go and find at okay. the end of the story. Um, and then there's some back and forth thing and there's some movements. Uh, Skirmishing. And eventually, um, it turns out that they 
the German forces want to wait until the full moon to battle. And, That's right. And when Caesar learns this, then he realizes he's got to sort of speed things up so that he can force a fight before the full moon. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's it, the battle scene itself is brilliantly now, now was described. This, was, this, was this for like Germanic pagan religious reasons? That's what That's he says. what's being reported, yeah. Yes. That, that he, that Ariovistus, despite the fact that he's the head chieftain, he listens to these cronish type women. And he keeps going back to them, according to Caesar, keeps going back to them and saying, Can I do it now? No, no, it doesn't look good. How about now? No, no, it doesn't look good. How about now? Wait till the full moon and then maybe. And in the meantime, he's trying to stall with Caesar. At one point, um, they, they have a parlay. And if I'm jumping ahead on that, no, uh, they have this wonderful parlay where he essentially, Ariovistus knows, yeah, Ariovistus knows that um, Romans don't do the horse thing. They hire the horse thing. So he says, I will parlay with you and we will meet as equals. And Caesar's like, no, nah, that ain't, that ain't going to happen. But eventually they go back and forth. He says, we'll meet as equals on horses. I will meet with you if you are on horses. And so Caesar turns to the 10th Legion and is like, you're all on horses now. And they turn to him. And they say, "We've been promoted." <laughs> well, because that made them that made them equities, right? That, yes, that, exactly. Yeah, okay. And so they have this joke in the middle of this whole story. It's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful little bit. And so there's a lot of back and forth thing okay. until you know. But ultimately, it is like, uh, are we going to fight under the full moon or not? So, yeah, I just love that story too much to leave it out. Okay, so as we approach the climax of this campaign, I think it's mm-hmm. worth sort of pulling together the clues now that yeah. we have talked about. So we have an enemy that that has this the battle line of their eyes that that the Romans don't even want to look at, right? They mm-hmm. they break down and weep and they don't want to fight and they're ready to mutiny against Caesar. And these so, men are so far as weeping. Oh, so Yo, far yeah. as weeping, they're writing their wills. They think it's yeah. over. And weeping yeah. back then was not like it is now. Like it was oh, yeah. a welcome thing. It was a fine thing to do. It was, yeah, it's it, not it a big. It's not a sign of sheer cowardice. it's, okay. it's a sign well, well, of passion. It, okay, but but, but these are but these yeah. are these are still hard. These are these are veteran yeah. troops. Yeah. Who, yeah. who are actually complaining not just about their eyes, but how huge these guys are. Oh yeah, no, I've heard I've heard the stories yeah. of of you know you talk about Mediterraneans at, at this time being yeah my height right you know, five six I'm a yeah. short guy you guys haven't been able to figure that out you know listening to us but I am you know whereas you the Germani are my height they're, they're, or higher or taller yeah they're, you know six feet plus yeah and yeah I know it'd be terrifying yeah in, and in, in an age where combat was all muscle powered that's mm-hmm. a, that's a big deal okay but this is where we're going at there's yeah. more okay. going on here than just muscle power yeah okay. Because this is the kind of enemy that makes men weep. And, and this is what the Gauls did when they came to Caesar to explain to him what this enemy was like. They were mm-hmm. all weeping at his feet saying, please help us. Right. And the Sequani, you know, wouldn't even speak, wouldn't yeah. even acknowledge that mm-hmm. this enemy was out there. Uh, and the Helvetians clearly are trying to flee this enemy. And they are going to flee so completely that they are going to burn all of their villages and towns and all their buildings. Right? They're going to leave nothing behind. And yet... 250,000 of them die on this campaign. So something is out there that is extraordinarily terrifying that would cause entire peoples to flee from it. Okay. To burn their homes in fleeing from it. Okay. Yes. Yes. So what could that enemy be? Like what enemy fits the clues that we have been describing? Because it can't just be a big German guy, no. Conan the Barbarian figure, right. right? Caesar fights lots of people like that, and he never has this sort of uh, inset of clues mm-hmm. that suggest mm-hmm. something that is truly different. Okay. And so Damien and I have come to the conclusion that the best explanation that fits all of these clues and explains what's going to come later mm-hmm. in the story, which we're happy to walk you through, okay, is that Ariovistus must be a zombie king. And he is leading a zombie horde of of the undead across the Rhine into Gaul and threatening Western civilization. And Caesar has to stop it. Okay, wait. Back up. Okay. Back up. Okay. So, um, <laughs> you had me. Ed has taken off his glasses and is rubbing you, his temples. You, yeah, and my eyes. Um, <laughs> okay, we're, yeah. we're working from the evidence, Ed. Yeah. Okay, well, you there. know, I, I, I get that, but um, are we sure he couldn't be a lich king? Oh, 
interestingly since enough, since he's he is he's not he's not mindless. Right. Obviously, he's right. scheming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and so you know, mm-hmm. I, I I have to admit my my biggest my biggest problem with that theory is I can certainly understand the horde that he's that he's driving could be a horde of, of the un, undead based i mean the, the burning of the villages is pretty evocative i, I was kind of thinking in that direction myself mm-hmm. you know from the beginning but um <laughs> i like that you're not surprised at the zombie part. well you know just right. the logistics of i it. mean it, it had to be right okay. um, no no i'm gonna go right there with you so uh, part of the strategy here is that caesar is trying to reveal things gradually Okay, um, and he's not just going to come out and say, "Hello, Senate at Rome. We're dealing with the Lich King." He oh, can't just okay. write that out. Oh yeah, no. Okay, um, I can see. So okay. what he's doing is setting up the the horde of the undead for the. Oh, mob. okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So first, and, and then first, we have to okay. deal with well, what kind of king is he really? Mm-hmm. Okay. And what sort of powers does he have? But Caesar hasn't yet, I think, even yet, fully understood. Okay. Situation. Okay. But he wants to bring the reader in, you know, credibly, step, kind of, kind of step, step by step, step. Okay. so you can understand the scale. Of okay. What is of of, of the necromancy involved? Here. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Uh, and the last clue comes uh, in the final battle when the armies finally meet up, and Caesar describes how the Romans, the 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 Germans, that was scare quotes mm-hmm. for you, the Germans uh, sort of form up this this wall of shields and the Romans leap up and rip away the shields from above and stab downward in order to kill the Germans, which really sounds like an efficient beheading Headshot. strategy. Well, because as, that's the one way you can stop the forward advance. Well, yeah, as as a as a as a sword geek, uh, that that does kind of make sense. And also, I, I find it an interesting departure from what we know about normal Roman tactics, which would have been yes. you know to form the testudo and march forward and stand, right. stand or stabby. or make the the saw teeth and yeah. and just go forward and meat grinder it. Yeah, that won't work if your enemy is so huge and so inured to pain. That the only thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That the only thing to do it would have to be a, a shot to running the, shot to the head. Yeah. yeah, leaping jump to stab them in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. And again, it's All because right. you understand what a normal battle would go like, how yeah. would it be described, that you realize that this description suggests that this is not the enemy that the normal reader might might yeah. realize. Yeah. Okay. The the problem though is uh-huh. that. Uh, even when the Romans turn this German army and they flee all the way back to the Rhine, uh, a lot of them are killed. I don't yeah. know if he gives a number, but a tremendous amount of them are killed. But Ariovistus himself escapes yes. with a few others across the Rhine back into Germany. Okay. And so Caesar, thinking that he was going to go and eliminate this threat, now realizes that the origin of the whole horde is now back across the Rhine in a place that he can't get to and potentially all of Gaul and then ultimately potentially Italy mm. is at risk from mm-hmm. what this king might do okay. and Caesar then commits pretty openly I think to yeah. to staying in Gaul as long as he has to to deal with this threat. Okay, and so the next year he goes north to Belgium, and the third yep. year he goes down to along the coast, along the coast, attacks the seagulls, the southwest part of Gaul. Uh, but he doesn't. But those are just <laughs> normal. Good day, sir. <laughs> those seagulls are just normal opponents. Yes, uh-huh. um, and it's just military campaigning again. And yeah. you have regular style narrative, yep. and you realize that that. This is different than it was in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then, fourth year of the war, new German horde comes across the Rhine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caesar rushes over, captures their leaders. He slaughters everybody. He kind of admits that he slaughtered everybody without really following the normal protocols yeah. for treaties okay. and alliances. Because he thinks, this is the return of the zombie horde, I'm not going to treat them like I would a, a regular foreign power. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it turns out that they were just men and he killed a lot of them and he okay. still doesn't know what to do. So then he actually builds a bridge mm-hmm. across the Rhine that he describes in loving detail. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's the I, famous I remember, yeah. 10-day yes. bridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he spends a couple of weeks over in Germany mm-hmm. and, and no one comes. Like he's over there, he's making a target of himself. No one comes. So he gives up. 
uh, comes back across the Rhine, tears up the bridge, and then realizes that, or then Damien and I think, and this mm-hmm. is more Damien's theory, so I'm about to pass this over to him. Sure. He thinks that maybe the Druids are the source of this knowledge, and the Druids are... They're, they're from Britain. They're up north. They're in the island across the ocean. And no Roman has really been there. He sends an advance party there, but uh, doesn't get the guy back for a while. So mm. it's it's kind of a, a, a an odd thing. And they're remote, and so he's going to have to go and explore that. Uh, before I get there now, uh, I want to just go back to that first and last battle with Ariovistus. Um, it's in book one of Caesar. It's around chapter 52. Um, and uh, Rex found this uh, wonderful quote. He says, Throwing aside their javelins, our men fought with swords hand to hand. So normal thing is you throw javelins as you advance and then you you know, you know just go in and you meat grinder them. But they were found very many of our soldiers who leaped upon the phalanx and with their hands tore away the shields and wounded the enemy from above. If you're a Roman in the forum, this is like the climactic battle. You're just well, like, this sounds yeah. sounds like a scene out of Michael Bay. Yeah. I mean, I mean really, it's this is, awesome. Yeah. It's fantastic. So, so. If you're in the Senate, you're a former soldier. Yeah. And you're sitting there going, oh, wait, wait, this, wait, why? Wait, why are we doing that? So. Okay. So, so how much of this mm-hmm. Is him sending a code to the Senate, and how much of this is him doing like Shakespeare did and playing to the groundlings? Uh, the answer is yes. Reading? Okay, por qué no los dos? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Why not both? Okay. So. All right. Because he is doing okay. that, like, okay. and and well. and in so doing, here's the fun part: he is both saving Rome and putting them in his pocket. Like he is increasing his legend, and also letting the Senate know, like, this is some. A bad problem. It's a good thing you've got me up here, though. And so there's obvious propaganda. Okay. But it's also very much like, no, this is a real problem. Okay. Um, and uh, it might be why Pompey and Crassus didn't go up to help him, but did send relatives and friends with them. Uh, because uh, Crassus's son serves under Caesar for a while, which okay. is kind of a yeah. return because Caesar served under okay. Crassus under at first. Yeah. Um, and you know, Pompey, of course, is married to Caesar's daughter, and so he's going to send advisors to protect his father-in-law, uh, who's ten yeah. years his younger, or so. Yeah. So it's 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 yeah. weird. Yeah. Well, uh, Romans. But it's worth but, yeah. pointing out that yeah. there has never been an account of a war as extensive as this one. Yes. And this is a sort of unique literary moment for, mm-hmm. for Roman history. And that, too, I think suggests that this is an enemy that was unlike other enemies that Rome had to fight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Caesar wants to memorialize that. Yes. And, and yet not... Well, he can't let straight out, out the I mean, real truth. How, how crazy would it sound if he just came out straight and said, <laughs> you know, we're fighting a horde of the undead. Right. You know, I mean, yes. anybody who believed him would immediately panic. And right. And everybody else would just think he was crazy right you know bat nuts right so you know so he has to thread the needle between building his own reputation exactly uh having it sound like rome is as invincible as ever yeah and yet alerting those who understand how grave this threat really is okay mm-hmm. or that's how... the the genius of it or that's yeah. why or you how, have or to... how out of the grave thank you oh yeah. yes yeah I, I, you, you started to make a remark and i knew yeah. where you were going yeah with. i like it yeah i dug it Oh. <laughs> Sir, I say good day. <laughs> so we're going to fast forward uh, from that battle to the fourth year. So he's gone okay. around smacking around <laughs> on the Gauls, yeah. runs across the, the river, thinks that he's going after. Go ahead, Rick. Yeah, no, just to stress again. So so not all the campaigns of Caesar mm-hmm. are against undead opponents. Right. Some of them really are just, these are the Belgians and I fought them and it was like this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you have to look for the clues where you can say these are the episodes that really matter. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in book four of Caesar, so this is four years into the battle, right? Book four. Uh, I, I'm blanking on what year that would be. That would be 55? Five. Five, yeah. He starts 55. in 58? Yeah, so 55. Uh, so in book four, Caesar goes to Britain, right? Um, and, and the reason he goes to Britain is because he's heard things. And he's okay. trying to find the source. He sees these zombies thing. as It's got to have a source. Um and there's rumors of men in Britain who are blue. And they don't eat rabbits, geese, 
or other types of animals. Okay. Very strange. Uh, even though these are animals that are all around them. And he's also heard this rumor of this group of people called the Druids. Uh, and they have re religious practices. And I talked about this earlier. Now, the, the Druids uh, and all of Gaul seem to have taken the Greek gods and kind of shuffled them around a bit. The chief okay. god amongst the Druids is Dis. And that's okay. the god of death. Yes. Hades so, for so the he, Greeks. Okay. Yeah. All right. So... He's like, oh, okay, well, they worship death. Necromancy. The undead. I, okay. Right? I, okay. Okay. He, so he, got me. he thought it was the Germani. But then he's like, well, I haven't heard from them in a while. And Arius was about four years ago. Three years ago. And there's not been any real zombie stuff in that time. So he goes to Britain to try to ferret it out. Because it's still an, a, a, a threat that's that's looming on the horizon. Okay. He gets to Britain, but the he runs into the Britons, mm -hmm. who show none of the same tactics that the, the, the Germani showed. Well, no, they were chariot fighters. Yes! And they're that's way right. too unintelligent. Way too human. Um, they're too nimble. They're charioteers. He, he writes about them. He says that they... Uh, and all my quotes here are in Latin... Uh, so he says, I, I might have it in English yes. uh, over here, um, that they throw their weapons and generally break the ranks of the enemy. And with the very dread of their horses and the noise of their wheels, uh, they, they do this. They just, I mean, they're shock troops, right? Yeah. And we know that chariots are inefficient uh, weapons, but they're uh, a crew weapon. Yeah. That's what makes them amazing. Yeah. You can't do that with zombies. And then he says, and they run along the pole and stand on the yoke. And thence betake themselves with the greatest clarity to their chariots again. Yeah. Which I used to think they're backflipping, but really they could just jump up and the chariot yeah. keeps going and then they fall. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, Still amazing. Speaking, yeah. Speaking as a, as a you know, Keltophile, mm -hmm. um, you know, one, one of the, one of the uh, stories mm -hmm. that you wind up hearing from Celtic sources, Celtic legend and, and myth uh, that was, you know, held onto by the Irish. Mm-hmm. Um, spoiler alert I know what happens in Britain um, and Ireland is the only place anyway I don't want to give it away for anybody who doesn't know but um, you know they they talked about you know yes. these heroic feats that they're that they're charioteers the, the drivers and the, the drivers and the warriors right. equally oh, yeah. were able to do and it was a big deal socially for status and all these kind of things mm -hmm. to be one of these guys yeah uh, you know, and talking about how nimble and how fast moving they were, mm -hmm. it was it was their tactic that you know the the warrior would jump off of the chariot mm -hmm. uh, as 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 they broke the line, they would jump off of the chariot, they would fight, they would try to gather as many heads of the enemy as they could. Yes. Okay, I just had a thought about that, and yes. then <laughs> and then carrying the heads in one hand and with uh -huh. their sword or you know one of their swords in right. the other. They would then have to run to catch up to their own chariot and jump right. on it as it turned around and wheeled back through yeah. the line to their own side. Running headlong. Yes. <laughs> Sir, my second shall contact you directly. <laughs> so Caesar gets up there and he sees no evidence of this. He can't find the elusive druids. It, nothing's conclusive. He does find a bunch of dishonest Britons, by the way. Like... Like everyone oh, has. Yeah. But he finds them and he demands hostages and they hem and haw and they, they lie to him. And so he's like, all right, I'll be back. And he gets to explore for a while. He smacks them around. He doubles his demand for hostages. He goes back home, goes back to Gaul. Still no source of zombies, but he he also didn't get a chance to fully explore Britain. So he'll be back the next year. He also learns that the Druids don't write anything down. Right. Everything is transmitted orally. Yep. Uh, and they run a sort of school... Yeah. Um, where recruits come for a certain amount of time. 20 until years. Until they've, they've learned all the Druid magic. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this this instills True. in him yeah. that, that if there is a source of learning that might that might be related to these dark arts, then the Druids still seem like the most likely source. Yeah. So he's got to okay. go back to Britain and keep looking. Yeah. Okay. And he knows that. Uh, and so... Uh, and, and also the fact that they don't send all the hostages makes him wonder... Why are they so willing to be dishonest to me, Caesar? So one problem that he hopes to confront was that full moon issue. Um, he doesn't get to it in book four. Um, 
And actually, interestingly, in book five, so now we're in 54? I don't do math backwards yes, very yeah, well. 54. 54. Yeah. Okay. So now we're in book 54, or we're in the year 54 BCE. Um, in book five, it's the only time that Caesar stays the winter in Gaul. Every other time he's gone back to Italy. This time he stays in Gaul. So there's a shift there to me. So like you see some exploratory commissions being set up, you know, and, and stuff like that in book four. And But we've seen nothing for three years. So it's, it's kind of running dry. And then mm-hmm. in book five, it's it's a real shift. Um, okay. He stays the winter. Uh, there's uh, this group of people up north called the Treveri. Okay. Uh, and they pique his interest, but he's still dead set on the source being in Britain. Were you going to? No. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, the Treveri is this group that doesn't come to the general council that he calls. Um, and they border on the Rhine. Now, he's still thinking it's in Britain. It's got to be in Britain. It's got to be in Britain. I swear it's in Britain. They're blue. It's got to be in Britain. Now, did he actually encounter anybody? Any of any of the Pictish, undoubted, not, undoubtedly <laughs> Pictish, says the Scot at the table, who who you know were the source of the blue. People he mentions stories. them as being in Kent, yeah, I and that he, there's a triangle in the middle of the island, and they use tin, and they don't use uh, gold or any normal metals for for currency. They use rings. Okay, but it seems to me, and he even talks about like kind of alludes to Wode. Yeah. A bit, but also he doesn't know much about these things. Uh, I don't know that he's ever encountered them, though. Yeah, Does I, he actually? I don't think so. I yeah. think it's what he hears. But From I the Britons. he never says that he saw any blue Yeah. yeah. So okay. he figures that since he beat the Germans in book one, right, that uh, the leader of the Treveri is a guy named Indutio Maros. He figures Indutio Maros is overreacting when he comes to Caesar going, uh, there's Germans on the Rhine. This is a problem. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. You know what? Give me your hostages. And 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 Indutio Mars begs him to address the zombie problem in his territory. And Caesar shuts him up. Uh, and he, he instead says, you know what? Give me all your leaders. Uh, and I'm going to put this guy named Singatorix in charge of your tribe. And I'm going to take all your leaders to Britain to show you that I know where the zombies are sourced. Locally sourced. Yeah, well, you know, you need organic locally exactly. sourced parts. <laughs> kind of by default. Yeah. But, you know. And he's certain of this. And here's the kicker. He's wrong. And he doesn't say I was wrong. But you see there's a shift after about six or seven books in. Um, and, and one of the reasons that he's wrong is like, he, he really flubs it here a couple times and maybe even opens the floodgates by accident because he takes the leaders away from the bell guy. The bell guy are one of the toughest tribes. Mm-hmm. They punch the Germans when they come across the Rhine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Helvetii used to punch the Germans when they came across, uh, the Rhine down South. And so it's just like, you know, whack-a-mole with the Germans. Uh, so he takes them with him. He even takes, uh, um... Uh, yeah, he, like I said, he takes a lot of leaders with him. Um, he leaves his favorite guy uh, of, I'd say, the entire Gallic Wars, Labanus. Okay. Which is so fun because Labanus in the, the Civil Wars uh, gets roasted by Caesar. Because Caesar thinks Labanus is just so loyal to him. He's the best soldier he's ever had, etc., etc. Like, outshines Mark Antony. Mark Antony barely gets mentioned at all in these wars. Um, but Labanus is just getting high praise the whole time. Later on, when he crosses the the uh, Rubicon, yeah, the Rubicon, uh, Labanus is like, "I can't go with you. I'm sorry. No, um, I'm loyal to Rome, not to you." And Caesar's just so hurt by that that he spends three chapters so offended. Oh, sir. hugely! Yeah, okay. he spends three chapters in his uh, civil wars just roasting Labanus about what a traitor really? he is. Yeah, and, wow. Oh, he gets so catty, Caesar. So, so what we're saying here is Caesar in fact, showed signs of narcissistic personality disorder. A little bit. A little bit. He is a messy, messy bitch. Okay. He really is. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. Okay, I'd like to just uh, uh, yeah. um, interrupt here and say, actually, what Caesar claims is that all the Britons mm. die themselves with woad. Mm-hmm. Vitrum. Vitrum is the word. Um, which makes their appearance in battle more terrible. Yeah. So he okay. makes it sound like a regular battle with the Britons involves large numbers oh, okay. of blue people. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So, yeah. So it isn't right, just so, okay, the picks. So it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's all in. All right. Well, it's Britannia. 
Yeah. That is chapter 14 of book five. There you go. Since I have the text. Yeah. Because we're working from the evidence. Yes, yes we yes. are. Consistently. Yes. 100%. I, I am, I'm really impressed. Going the, from the actual Latin. With the, with the hard yeah. evidence that you've, that you've brought to bear here. So, he leaves Lebanus, who, by the way, is the most experienced zombie hunter of all his men. Uh, who He leaves him lots and lots of horses. Because one thing you need against zombies is speed. They've got the numbers. You've well, got the height. speed. Yeah, because you're going to go swinging, lopping off heads. downward. Yeah. 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 Uh, so he leaves them horses so that you can also have communication across vast areas yeah. in case you get wiped out. Yeah. Caesar makes it back to Britannia again. He figures out the sources in Kent. He figures this out according to himself. Again, these are the weird people that don't eat rabbits, chickens, or geese. Mm-hmm. Um, and turns out uh, the blue men actually did just paint themselves. Okay. Darn it. It's not the source. And then he leaves. Like, pretty shortly thereafter. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to grab some hostages, and, and then we're going to take off. Brings Indutio Mars and everyone back. I'm sure it was, like, one of the most uncomfortable rides back because <laughs> he knows he's wrong. He can't admit that he's wrong, you know. But uh, he's largely I uninterested. Could just, I, I could just picture some subchief in the back of the wagon. Awkward. Yeah. yeah. Are yeah. we going to tell him? Are you going to tell him? I'm not going to tell, tell him. You know. him. The Romans don't go back to Britain for a hundred years. Yeah. So it's not until Claudius. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and true. when they do, by the way, uh, they end up just like killing well, all the Druids. They eradicate yeah. the Druids. That was the spoiler I didn't want to give away. Ah, yeah, yeah. Is they, they wind up, not only not only do they wind up wiping the Druids out, they wind mm-hmm. up uh, committing you know historical uh, character defamation. Uh, you know, creating, oh, creating. Well, well, mm-hmm. her too. Yeah. But uh, you know, many of many of the uh, things that they wind up writing about the druids and druidic practices, we strongly suspect now were just complete fabrications to make them look bloodthirsty, primitive, and you know, more more violent and terrible than they actually were. Or they're drawing on the memories of what Caesar had left for them. Great. That these yes. people, you know. Great. So Caesar says yeah. that they build these sort of wicker statues in oh, human yeah. forms and fills them with living people and burns them alive. Yes, yeah. well, this is what, what druids do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah, yeah, like you do. Like I now, mean, but I wonder if there are sources that corroborate that, or if that really is Caesar becoming legend. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I mean, the 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 advantage of writing stuff. Yeah, and <laughs> and the and you know the the post Victorian uh, you know uh, studies of. of what we found seems mm-hmm. to indicate that, that one way or another that was that was at the very least an exaggeration, possibly a fabrication mm-hmm. in regard to druidic practices. You know, I think it's interesting that it might be conflating whatever might have been done by whoever you guys have, have you know, pinned as being the source of this, that kind mm-hmm. of sacrifice might be part of the necromancy involved in this whole thing. Could be. Could so be. So attempting to conflict to try to make himself sound like, well, you know, I didn't really fuck up that badly because <laughs> they were still doing this thing. Right. Turns out it was, you know. And it's entirely possible because when they talk about the Wicker Man, and we're jumping mm-hmm. ahead a bit, when they talk about the Wicker Man, they fill them with the lowest types of people first. Mm-hmm. And then when they run out of those, if they haven't filled it all the way to the top, then they throw whoever they can. Uh, now that's Caesar talking about it, but it's it's people whose lives have no value, mm-hmm. and even slaves have value in Rome. Yeah. So you wouldn't just throw slaves in, but you might if they had gotten bitten, and the only way to get rid of them, oh, yeah, to fill up the whole statue. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't mean that they got it all a hundred percent right. Maybe this was okay. We're gonna put it in the form of the first zombie that we ever saw. It's a wicker man that looks like that. It's teeming with zombies, and we're going to burn it to uh, appeal to the gods. You know, the first and worst explanation of most things. Yeah. So, there you go. So, he comes back from Britain and calls a general council of all the northern Gauls, and he tells them what's going on. He says, the source is not Britannia. I was wrong. It's not Britannia. Uh, And when he shows up, uh, they're in northern and central Gaul. Uh, he finds out that there's a famine in the territory of the Eberones. And he uses this as his excuse to spread out the legions. Now, here's the kicker. If you spread out your legions, you are not eating all the grain from one area mm-hmm. and forcing those people to attack you. Okay. This is true. Yeah. So spreading it out, everybody's going to get a 20% pay cut instead of this one group that'll spark a rebellion. But at the same time, 
you spread them all out, now you have mobility and you have a much wider net that you've cast to try to find the source of these zombies. And so this way, he has a very mundane explanation for why he's doing it. Yeah. Lack of grain. But he also has a very understandable, plausible reason for why he has to be everywhere. All at once. So that he can find this. Okay. Okay? And he stays the winter to make sure. In fact, they even use the words Certior Factus Est in Hiberna, uh, which is he is he is informed while in winter camps. But Certior means to be made more certain. Okay. So it's much more with that. Now, he's racked with doubt and worry. He'd been wrong about the source, uh, and he knows that Indutio Maris wasn't overreacting now. Mm-hmm. Sorry, buddy. I was wrong. You were right. Let's get this working right. Uh, and now he thinks that anything might be the source, though. So now he's swinging quite the other way. Yeah, he's paranoid. Exactly. Okay. He sends a guy named Plancus to investigate a murder. There's a guy named Tascadius who gets murdered. Uh, who'd been a king of his region for three years under Caesar, basically. Caesar comes in, okay. he'd help Caesar, allied himself with Caesar, and uh, he's like, all right, great, you're our guy. Uh, and then he gets murdered. Uh, and he sends, uh, he says, Plancus, he says, go figure it out. Go find out what happened and bring me people and, and, and question them. He's basically saying, was this political or was it murder? It was political. It was 100% political. All right. Um, now, Indutio Maris uh, warns another guy named Ambiorix. Uh, Ambiorix uh, is warned about the zombies. Um, now, Ambiorix just gave grain to the Romans, just gave it to him, and he realizes that he needs the grain back. <laughs> so okay. the plot thickens here. And so, uh, because they need to be able to fight off the Germanic horde that's coming their way. And so he goes, here, here's his plan he's going to go and get the grain from the Romans. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I don't know that he wanted to go attack the Romans who are set up in, in his territory. But I do know that his own people insist on it because he says so. He knows that the attack will fail, though. He knows this. But Ambiorix's tribe works in such a way that he has just as much power over the people as they have over him. It's very similar to a pirate captain, I guess. Okay, yeah. Um, Rules by prestige and... Exactly. And During a battle, persuasion. I will lead us. Yeah. After the battle, we'll all decide. Okay. You know? Uh, he knows he's going to fail. He leads them into failure and then immediately asks for parlay. And he says, he tells him flat out, um, we need your help. Now, uh, there's a sentence that Caesar uses in book five, chapter 26, and he puts the words for grain and indutio Mars in the same sentence. So they are close enough to each other that you're like, okay, this is what's going on. These are the priorities. Okay. Now, Ambiorix is 100% genuine in his plea. Everything that he says is absolutely true. He says um, that um, uh, essentially there is a big horde of Germans coming across the Rhine. They will be here in two days. Now where they are is that's a hell of a hard march to get across the Rhine and then over to there in two days. He says they're going to march all day and all night. They're going to be here in two days. Uh, and so either you can leave voluntarily or they will kill you here. And he promises them safe passage through his territories. And he means it 100%, I think. And and, okay. and Rex and I have kind of come to this conclusion that he actually is on the side of the Romans, but he absolutely needs the grain for his people. And Caesar's not there, so he can't talk directly to him, but he can talk to Caesar's lieutenants, Cotta and Sabinus. Uh, and he talks to them ab- about it, and he says, now I'm going to go off and try to hold them back. You get out of here um, and, and whatnot, and, and I'm sorry that we attacked you. It's just our custom, and as you can see, I knew that we wouldn't win. He even says, I knew that we wouldn't win. You know that I knew that. I even know one of your friends. He knows that I knew that, and he's dropping all the cred that he can on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, but they're, they're coming, Okay. Um, Can I just intervene yeah, there? Please. But so he knows that large horde of Germans is coming. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, and he's afraid. You know, this is the kind of enemy that you double cross the Romans for. Yeah. Um, so again, we're seeing the clues that that. 
this is not the normal battle that we're mm-hmm. having. And Caesar has already, as David explained, you know, spread his men across the landscape, sort of anticipating that the moment has come. Mm-hmm. So the the reason to focus on the failed expedition to Britain, I think, is because there was sort of a void back in Gaul. And once Caesar returns, he realizes the trap that yes. he's going into. And uh, there's a very oblique mention of the mm-hmm. fact that news has been received that Ariovistus is dead. Okay. But what could that mean? Okay. Thank you, Damien. Yeah, well, actually, uh, that is the end of our episode for this week. Um, okay. So we're going to leave you on a cliffhanger. Well, uh, shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, it'll make it uh, much more exciting uh, to listen to the next episode. I strongly recommend, by the way, that you listen to these episodes in sequence. You're a monster if you listen to the second episode first. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so, um, Rex, thank you for being a part of this episode. You're very welcome. And I look forward to your uh, collaboration on the next episode. Uh, coming up next week. Great to have the chance to explain this Absolutely. out loud. And yeah, it really is nice to give it breath um, uh, and to allow it to actually like kind well, of. Yeah, no, yeah. I can I can understand how having having discovered something like this, it would it would just drive one batty. Yeah, not yeah. not being able to. It's driven me to puns, really. Yeah. It's that's the reason. No, that, it's based. No, it's no, based no, in that, evidence. Still, yes, right? it is evidence. It's based in evidence. It is. Well, totally. It, is not just I mean, yeah. <laughs> it may drive you to puns. Yes, but, but the evidence is clearly there, uh, and we'll get into the grammar of the evidence next week as okay. well, because oh, there wow. is an actual grammatic component to this that is compelling as all get out. Uh, okay. But but for right now, yes. Um, what's your takeaway so far? Um, I. It's it's really hard to say. I'm I'm still you, kind of flabbergasted. Do you want to just hold off until next? Yeah, week? I think okay. I think I think holding off cool. until until we have the the whole the whole uh, totality sure of of the story and the and the sure. and everything absolutely I think is is definitely worth it. Okay, well since we've got a guest here, I'm going to put everybody on the spot. Um, okay. So, uh, Rex, are there any books that you can recommend that you've just been enjoying lately? They don't have to pertain to the subject at hand, uh, but any any book that you've really enjoyed in the last uh, couple months that you've gotten to read? <laughs> uh, no. I read scholarship that is actually unpleasant even for nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Uh, way to way to Im, uh, encourage uh, kids folks to go into academia. Yeah. Kids, if you want to enjoy reading, don't become don't, an expert. Don't become a professor. <laughs> no, no. When you read academic books for a living, uh-huh. it drains the joy of reading. Oh lord, um, there are wow. limits to this. Well, then we're going to help you. We're going to recommend books okay. to you, Ed. Uh, what um, books would you recommend? I well, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm doing this as part of my job, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I am teaching currently for my orphan English section, mm-hmm. uh, Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury. And number one, mm-hmm. it is incredibly trenchant to the historical moment we're living in, in a lot of ways. And number two, I had forgotten, because it had been years since I'd picked the book up, mm-hmm. and I had forgotten how lyrical mm-hmm. Bradbury's prose is. And you are the, a, a very appreciative person of such things. You're I'm, a poet I'm, yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm a prose whore. Yeah. yeah, no, if you can if you can make the words look pretty on the page and sound mm-hmm. pretty to the ear, then you've, you're halfway there with me. It's um, really tragic he never learned Latin, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, and, 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 and Bradbury manages to be beautifully poetically symbolic yeah. in, in an awful lot of things that he, he describes. Mm-hmm. And it's absolute, it's, 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 thrilling to read on the page um and the sad part is that of course i'm teaching it at the eighth grade level Oof. and and trying to get eighth graders to understand poetic metaphor is is the kind <laughs> of thing that would make one actually hate it it would it would drain the joy out you of it you can't force it you uh yeah it. yeah it has and, to be felt and yeah and and i have in in a class of i want to say i got 32 Mm-hmm. I've got about three who clearly are grooving on it. I've got about 25 mm-hmm. who are sitting through it 
like eighth graders would, and I've got about whatever the remainder is. I, I can't do the math right now. Uh, <laughs> you think who, a ninth grade who, audience, a tenth grade audience, is more appropriate? I think I think it would be easier to do in American Lit in the eleventh grade. Um, that makes sense. I think I think at that level there would be a, a bit more sophistication. They would not quite be operating strictly off of the amygdala as much as seventh and eighth graders do, which is a, a whole topic I can go on forever about neurological development in the middle school grades. Yes. Uh, but um, I, I think they would be better able to uh, appreciate it at that point. So, Damien, you just took took a moment while I was waxing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, pedantic about mm-hmm. uh, developmental neurology to go grab a book off the shelf. What do you got there? <laughs> I just couldn't remember the author's name. Uh, I was going to recommend, uh, given the topic at hand, uh, and and also because Rex is suffering through uh, mind-numbing uh, uh, literature, uh, I would recommend uh, Max Brooks' uh, World War Z. Uh, Son of Mel. Yeah, it's son of Mel Brooks. Son of Mel Brooks. Wow. Yeah. Uh, who really studied um, epidemiology a bit to write this book. He did a lot of background research on just how diseases spread and things like that. It's fascinating. The wonderful thing about this book is that it's it's in the style of after it's done, this guy's going back and interviewing people who lived through it. And so each chapter is only a couple pages long. So if you ever need an eye break from uh, what you're doing, uh, this is this is where it's at. Because yeah. it's like you just get maybe two or three interviews in. And you're like, wow, this is really good. And then you can put it down and you don't feel like you're in the middle of a chapter, you know. Uh, so I recommend uh, World, War, World War Z by Max Brooks. It's a, it's a fun read. It's a quick read. And it's, it's episodic enough that putting it down and coming back to it a month later, you haven't lost much. Uh, so it's really good. And there's some really fun stories in it. So right. that's what I would recommend. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah. Um, why don't we plug our uh, our pluggables uh, on okay. Twitter? You can find us at at Geek History Time. Um, you can find me at at Da Harmony D U H Harmony. Yeah. Um, and I'm yeah. at E H Blaylock. Yeah. And uh, you are an academic, so I presume you have no presence whatsoever in the uh, social Correct. media sphere. Digital Correct. Sphere. All right. Lucky, lucky man. Fortunate, fortunate man. <laughs> I just get to come in as a guest. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then disappear again. And then, right. And then, yeah. Into the mists. Uh, okay. Well, uh, for Ed Blaylock, I'm Damien Harmony. And thank you to our guest, uh, Rex Stem, uh, for joining us. And uh, until next time. Keep rolling 20s. <laughs>